0: This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at DiceTowerNetwork.com. guys welcome to part four of the top 100 i'm doing for the broken meeple and my god it's hot it's way too hot people seriously we've got the heat wave coming into the uk now and i hate heat i I, well that don't get me wrong i like to be warm but i don't like to be overly hot i don't like to be sweaty i don't like to be you know in 28 degree heat or whatever when you know you're not a country designed for it i am much more of a cold person i well not emotionally but just cold i like the temperature cold i prefer to go to colder countries and i do the hotter ones it's just me so know that i am suffering here a little bit in this very warm room as i record this next episode So we're continuing with the top 100, going from numbers 45 through to 31. After this one, there will be three more episodes, going through ten at a time, as I go through some of my most favourite games of all time. There is a lot of big titles in this lot, so if you haven't heard of half of these then seriously, crawl out from under your rock, I think you need to play more games. But there's a lot of well-known titles here. Some you might not recognise at first, I can think of maybe two or three that you might not recognise. But most of these, I think you're going to know these ones, or have at least heard of them. Particularly this first one. So let's make a start, let's continue with number 45. Number 45 is a new debut, and it is one of the big award winners for this year, not only winning the UK Games Expo Award, but also winning the Kennerspiel Award earlier in the summer. I'm talking, of course, of Isle of Sky. Isle of Sky has surprised me a lot, and I mean a lot. I didn't really know what to make of this game when I saw it being played on a table. It looked like mini Carcassonne with a couple of bits of money flowing around, but I kind of ignored it for a while. Then I heard of it at the Expo getting the award, and I thought, Hmm, I recognise that from last year. I might have to give that a go sometime. Then it won the Kenner Spiel and I had to make it my mission in life in order to try this game out and find out what the fuss was about. Thankfully, I got my review copy, tried it several times, and realised, wow, this is actually a really good game. Isle of Sky basically takes elements of Carcassonne where you're building maps with tiles and connecting terrain types together to complete areas but on top of that it has a really cool auction style mechanism where you have to put money in secret on some random tiles drawn from a bag and then you get to buy other people's tiles and they get to buy yours. Of course, that then gives you the dilemma of how much do you price yours up. Do you want to sell your tiles, or are you desperate to keep them for yourself? Because what you keep, you have to spend the money, but you get to build them. What people buy from you, you get the money, but then you've got nothing to build. And it just generates a really good dilemma of choices every round. Not nothing that you couldn't get your head around. This is definitely a gateway game, and it looks very pretty. The map tiles form a nice little map of an island, well, the Isle of Sky, technically... You know it does it could have been any place in the world really it didn't have to be the isle of sky but let's face it it now makes me want to go visit the isle of sky i guess and it looks like a beautiful place so 45 isle of sky it's deserving of its awards i recommend you check it out Number 44, another new debut to the list, and this is probably my favourite racing game. I'm going to imagine so. Yes, I think this is the highest racing game on the list. Might even be the only racing game on the list, come to think of it. I don't normally tend to go for that genre, but I do enjoy them every now and again, but I don't think I've tried many of them. But this one has won me over, and I still love playing this as a gateway racing game of choice, and that is Snow Tales. You were probably expecting something like Formula Day or possibly Jamaica. Now I've not played Formula Day yet, and Jamaica's okay. I don't love it. It's not really a racing game. It seems more like a take that fighty cannon fire game. But Snowtails is pure racing. You are dog sledding across a track that is modular. You can use one of the ones in the back of the book, or you can just create your own. And you're dodging sapling trees, you're dodging chasms, you're trying to not veer into the side of the wall. And the cool way this works is a very simple little math problem where you have your two dogs and your brakes, and you play cards numbered one to five on each of them, and you add them together. You add the two dogs and you subtract your brakes, and that's your speed. But If your dogs aren't in sync, you drift left and right depending on where they are. And you've only got so many cards in your hand. And if you bash into things, you take damage. And as a result, you end up having less choices in your hand. Very simple to play. The mechanic for determining who's in first place and how you move around corners is very good. It's very easy to follow. And generally, this provides me with a good laugh. It's just another one of those charming gateway games that I enjoy to play on a regular basis. And I really want to go dog sledding now. I want to go back up to the normal of norway i've already been to the southern parts of norway i want to go to the north in the arctic circle now and do dog sledding that's how much i get into the theme of this game i mean granted it could be any racing game but i just think it works very nicely with dog sledding and it's a great laugh and works even with five players it caters for that annoying number of players that you just don't want to have at any game night That number five but this is my number 44 new to the list. Snowtails. My number 43 is impossible to play without cracking a Monty Python joke. It's down 17 places, but it's still in the top half of my top 100, so I still adore playing this co-op whenever I get a chance, and that is Shadows over Camelot. I have not played a single game of this where someone has not cracked a Monty Python joke. Usually I'm the one who does it, but everybody does it, because it's just basically dripping with Monty Python-esque style theme in this game. Yeah, you're making poker hands, but the fact that you can't say what numbers you've got in your hands leads to some very imaginative ways of saying what you've got in your hand and what you need I like to describe them as like peasants champions knights runners-up you know that kind of thing and I get a good laugh out of that especially if I decide I'm going to go to the uh, Excalibur in the lake and say that I'm chucking peasants into the pond in order to move the sword closer to me that gets a few laughs and maybe a few raised eyebrows but Shadows of a Camelot is just a simple co-op that works. It looks more complicated than it actually is. It's actually a really simple game to play, but it teaches the traitor mechanic nice and easily. And it's simple, goes over well with loads of players, and it has that really cool drop-in, drop-out mechanic. This is something you don't see in any other game, I think, to date, where you can literally leave the game or join it from a new and it makes no difference. Most games fall apart as soon as somebody leaves and you obviously can't join midway, but Shadows over Camelot, you just give them a card, give them a power, and off you go. It just continues flawlessly. great way to cater for up to eight players if you've got the expansion, and you can have two traitors if you've got eight players. It's a solid game all-round, Shadows over Camelot. If you're into gateway co-ops, this needs to be in your collection now. Number 42 has climbed four places in this list, so it's remaining pretty steady in the 40s. This is one of the better uses of the Warhammer license. In fact, I would say... Well, actually, no, it's not quite... Certainly from Warhammer Fantasy's point of view, hint, hint, spoiler alert... this is the best use of the license and that is chaos in the old world everybody's banging on about blood rage at the moment and granted blood rage is an okay game i think it's i think it's fine i've got issues with the variety in it i've got issues with the longevity of it but it's still a fine game i certainly don't think it's worth all the hype chaos in the old world is what i prefer to blood rage so yes spoiler alert Blood Rage ain't on this list. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Get off your keyboards. Hey, no no comment typing right now, okay? I'm still doing the list. We'll get, you know, we'll explain that later, I suppose. But Chaos in the Old World just works better for me. You've got really cool miniatures for all the warhammer like elder gods i suppose they're called but the asymmetrical nature of how you play and how you get your winning conditions is so well done here if you're corn you are trying to kill everything on the board as fast as you can if you are nurgle you're trying to spread all over the board if you're zinich zinich however you pronounce it you're using all these weird and wonderful effects and spells to basically teleport across the board and be annoying it's just a really cool game and adding the skaven in just made it even better to have a fifth faction but of course it means that you can mix and match and it's always good granted you wouldn't really play this with less than four players you know there are the occasional balance issues with two or three players but with four players which is the common way i do it it's a solid game all round. i really like the this is one of my favorite area control games there is chaos in your world by number 42 My number 41 has dropped 26 places this was very high before this was in my top 20 last year and it has dropped because it hasn't really seen the table very much it's not the easiest one to bring out particularly as it has zero theme whatsoever yes i know i like thematic euros but i told you there were exceptions this is one of them this is one of those dry euros that i still enjoy playing a lot but has no theme whatsoever, could have had anything pasted onto it, and is what you would typically call a dry Euro. Yes, I do like some of them, and this is probably one of my favourites, Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica has won me over because the mechanics work really nicely in it. I like the whole power mechanic with doing lots of effects where you can get combos off. I like how with the expansion, you now have different ways to have the winning conditions. But what really gets me with this is the variety in the races you can be. You, you get so many in the base game, you don't even need the expansion for this. But the base game alone gives you many different factions to be and they've all got very you know, considerable differences in how they play and their special abilities and how they interact with others. And the variety just goes through the roof. A Euro with this much variety in your starting powers doesn't come very often, particularly in a dry Euro game. And yes, this is super dry, you know, it's got generic fantasy pasted all over it, but I still really enjoy playing this one, preferably not with the most, ma- you know, maximum number of players, I think 3 is the sweet spot again, maybe 4, but yeah, I think you can play this with 5, that is a mistake, don't ever do that. I think 3 and 4 works fine with this, maybe, you know, 2 player is okay, but you just don't interact as much. I still enjoy to play this one a lot, and yes, you know, can people stop thinking that I don't like any dry euros because, well, case in point, Terra Mystica. You know, if you don't call this one dry, then seriously, what do you class as dry? I can't really get any more sandpaper-esque than this. Well, unless I started heading into things like 18xx, but I'm not going to do that in a thousand million years, so new. (laughs) Funny enough, no 18xx on this list, what a surprise. So Terra Mystica hits my number 41, still in my top half of the list despite dropping a fair distance. Finishing off the 40s, this is one of my most popular fillers that I'm getting to the table at the moment, which is why it has climbed two places. Yeah, it's remained fairly steady, but I still really enjoy this and everybody is asking me to bring this out every time it's in the bag. And that is Bang, the dice game. Not the card game Bang. I've played that and did not like it the bang card game just takes far too long and with expansions gets far too convoluted bang the dice game though brings it down to a nice 10 to 15 minute length possibly slightly longer when you've got the max eight players but when you've got the max eight players you've got so much interaction around the table you don't really care it's just that much fun Very simple rules, I can teach this to anybody and nobody has problems understanding what's going on. You roll the dice Yahtzee style, keep what you need, shoot people next to you and do what your team role says to do. Your sheriff and deputies kill the bad guys, your outlaws kill the sheriff and the renegade tries to pitch everyone against each other until you're one on one with the sheriff. Now, the Renegade, balance-wise, is definitely harder to win with with the rest, which is a minor flaw, but I have won an 8-player game with the Renegade before, so it is doable, and if anything, you should see the Renegade as an opportunity for you to constantly be changing alliances and hiding nicely in the shadows, waiting for that time. Or just think of it as a challenge. It's a cool challenge to have. And let's face it, it's a 15-minute game. What What do you want? What do you expect? You can't get total balance in a 15-minute dice game. But this is probably one of the best dice fillers out there. Bang the Dice Game, making my number 40. God knows how many times I've played this. I think it was in my top 10 most played games. And with good reason. Everybody wants to play this multiple times. Every time I bring it out, it is definitely worth getting. Okay, into the 30s now, climbing 10 places this one. I was actually quite shocked when I looked at the previous years and realised that this has climbed 10 places because I'm not entirely sure why. It's not that it's gotten any worse, I just don't know why it's got that much better, but this is the ever-classic Ticket to Ride. I still really enjoy playing this one regardless of what map it is, whether it's USA, Europe... Pennsylvania, Africa, Switzerland, I think I've got every single map now anyway. Oh, with the expe- exception of Nordic countries and Markland, because they're a bit hard to get hold of. And also, I don't have Netherlands, because I didn't like the idea of the toll roads. But I've got Asia, got Africa, Switzerland, India, and the newest one. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons it's climbed because the Pennsylvania map is nice, it's fairly good, but the UK map is something else. And I know that sounds biased, you know, I'm from the UK and I like my own map, but come on. The way that you start off in England with basic technology and you then have to get the technologies in order to do the bigger routes, it's really hit home with a lot of gamer friends that I have who think that ticket to ride maybe is a little bit too simplistic. They like having this little extra thing. And of course we all live in the UK, so I suppose we're we're connected to our own country, what do you expect? But Ticket to Ride UK has definitely probably bumped this one up a few places in the list because it's the one I enjoy playing most of all, but I still find myself teaching Ticket to Ride on a regular basis to new players and enjoying every minute of it, with loads of maps and this new Rails and Sails version that's coming out soon, I'm very interested to see how that goes. I'm not entirely certain why you needed a My First Ticket to Ride game though, because ticket to ride is pretty simple already i'm not sure how you make it much more simple but that aside that's a minor thing the rails and Sales has got me excited to see how it's gonna you know change the game is it gonna just be ticket to ride but with sea routes now or are they going to introduce some new interesting mechanics we'll find out later but for now still love it 39 ticket to ride Okay, we've got three new debuts coming now, and first off is a, I suppose you could call it a filler. It does take a little bit longer sometimes, but this is one of the most ingenious uh, deck builder games that I've ever come across, and all in a tiny little box with one expansion, which is standalone, and a new one coming out soon called Last Rights, which I'm very excited to get with new mechanics and cards. That is Valley of the Kings. This is probably one of my favorite small box games. It's just really cool how yeah you know you think deck builder all right well how can they change that and yes it is a traditional deck builder except you buy your cards from a pyramid structure which is fitting with the theme and when you buy a card it crumbles instantly so that different cards become available because you can only buy from the bottom row and but that's not the best thing about it the thing i really like is the entombing action because you don't score anything in your deck you have to entomb the card permanently in your own tomb because you are pharaohs trying to get all the treasures for your burial and once you put it in the tomb you no longer get to use it for gold or its special ability and i just found that really cool because then you've got to decide well this is a really cool ability but i need to put it in the tomb at some point and that deck's running out when it runs out the game ends how long do i keep hanging on to this before i need to entomb it and even then do i have enough cards that allow me to entomb because doing one a turn is very slow you want to get more cards that allow you to do it faster and those choices that you make and timing it just right for when you got to start thinking about entombing cards rather than having a big deck of cool stuff. Or you might even just have a titchy deck and entomb everything the second you get it. I've done that before. I've had times where I've had like a 5-6 card deck for most of the game because I've literally entombed everything I could find just so that I kept recycling the same cards. It's a really cool system. Cannot wait for the new version. I will be getting it instantly the second i hear it's out in the uk valley of the kings this is an underrated deck builder that everyone needs to give a try to see whether it's for them Number 37, the new debut. Oh, this one just makes me laugh thinking about it. It was a two-player game that I came across at Essen. I didn't know much about it, except that it was designed by, I believe, Faduti and Bruna Kafala, which is pretty much like a match made in heaven. Well, Kefala and Antoine Bozo are maybe slightly better, but to be fair, those are three of my favourite designers of all time. There's just something about that area of the world. They're just really good at making games, I swear it. Now, this one is an interesting game called Raptor. In here, it's asymmetrical, which is already a plus point for me. I love asymmetrical games. But what sets this apart is the cheeky theme that one of you is playing the scientist. Think of this like the prequel to Jurassic Park. One of you is playing the scientist in which you have to capture raptor babies to take off to the labs and do very nice things to them, you know, put them in little beds and maybe just, you know, give them a cuddle every now and again. You know, nothing sinister at all. But the other player is playing the raptor mum, who is trying to get the babies off the board and escape, or eat the scientist, whichever way they go. And the scientist can also win by tranquilizing the mother. You know, tranquilizing, not not shooting her dead, it literally says in the book it's tranquilizing, so it's just putting her to sleep. There's no killing in this game. Well, except for when a raptor eats one of your scientists, but let's face it, if you're going to go toe-to-toe with a raptor, you kind of have to take it for what it's worth and expect that sort of thing. But this is just a really fun little two-player game. And I know it doesn't sound like much from that description, but it's the card-based system that really sets it apart. You've got the little map with your scientists and raptors all over it, but you have a hand of cards each, numbered 1 to 9, each with a special action. And what happens is that you will play a card face-down simultaneously and flip them over. The idea is is that whoever played the lowest number gets to do the special action. Whoever played the highest number gets the difference in values in little mini actions like move around the board, eat people, rescue babies, wake people up, that kind of thing. And That just blows it out of the water because at that point it's all about getting in your opponent's head and thinking, I really need to do lots of actions this turn so I could play my 9 but is he just about to play a 7 or 8? He wants to do that action, doesn't he? Yeah, he's going to play that, in which case it's a waste of time. Maybe I could go for this really cool action down here. And you're just constantly thinking about what the opponent has played, because it's perfect information, you can see what they've played, but you don't... Well, sorry, it's not perfect information. You can see what they've played, but you don't necessarily know what they've drawn from the deck. So it's just really cool, really ingenious two-player game. This I fell in love with it the minute I played it at Essen and bought a copy and got it signed. It's... It's a brilliant two player game, one of my favorites that there is Raptor 37. And number 36, another debut, not the last debut to be talked about in this episode, but it's certainly the last of these three I mentioned. Yeah, get on with it. Right, 36 is the upgrade to Dixit, and that is Mysterium. Dixit is one that I've already talked about earlier the list, I believe around 64. And Mysterium is my preferred version. I still love Dixit, but I like Mysterium better. With Mysterium, you not only have to, you know, it's not just simply a case of here's a card and guess my clue. But you have a ghost of a deceased person working with psychic detectives. And the ghost is communicating to the players, it's a co-op. And he's doing it via those Dixit cards. So the players have to deduce, like with Cluedo, the the murderer and the weapon and the location. But the way that they figure out each piece of their own little puzzle, because it's not just figuring out the only one at the end. Each person's got their own set of three that they're trying to deduce. The ghost is trying to give them Dixit-style artwork cards that help them deduce which one that they're looking at. And that just it's a great idea i mean that is such an innovative way to use the dixit mechanic and make cludo fun you know because normal cludo i'm kind of burnt with but this version mysterium with the dixit cards just instantly is a surefire hit now the only slight negative with it is that the last phase where you're almost like against each other in a sense to figure out who the other guy is it's kind of weird i mean it kind of is a little bit weird to get your head round but it it fits it still works but the whole co-opt aspect throughout the whole game before it where you're trying to deduce your own thing and help everyone else try and figure out their cards if you're the ghost it's so much fun because you are sitting there unable to talk and you are gritting your teeth as everybody starts going off on tangents it's one of those games where it's like come on think think come on you know it really gets your blood boiling when you are the ghost but even when you're the detective it's still great fun trying to get into your ghost's head trying to think what on earth is this guy on when he gave me this card what is he trying to suggest to me works really well love teaching this to people at dice portsmouth events in fact tomorrow i hope to do that many times actually there'll be another event then so 36 mysterium Number 35, down 7 places, so still remaining steady. The sequel to Arkham Horror, and that is Eldritch Horror. Yes, I still think Arkham Horror has the better theme. But Eldritch Horror just works a bit more smoothly, it's not quite as convoluted as Arkham Horror, and thus it's easier to bring to the table. The expansions are coming out in waves, which is making storing a bit of an annoyance. But certainly, hopefully we'll get like a big box, I hear the Broken Token is doing a big box for containing all of Eldritch Horror. If so, then sign me up, I want one of those, please bring it to the UK. But that aside, Eldritch Horror is a really good fun Cthulhu adventure game it's the same sort of deal as Arkham Horror. Gates have opened, monsters have come out, and you're trying to stop the Ancient One from appearing. And you're doing so by travelling the world this time as lots of different investigators so many now, and you find encounters at different cities or in various bits of wilderness and expeditions, or even out at sea. And it's a bit like Arkham Horror, streamlined. That's Pretty much the way to do it. They're very similar in what the aim of the game is. But Eldritch Horror just runs that bit more smoothly, and even the base game alone is still good fun to play. I recommend that if you want to get into these games, you start with Eldritch Horror rather than Arkham Horror, because Eldritch Horror will be a little bit easier for you to get your head round. Just don't ever listen to anybody who says you should play this with five or more players. If they suggest, oh yeah we can teach you, let's play a five to six player game, or maybe we could go to seven or eight, then instantly. Disregard everything they say from that point and get away from the game. Eldritch Horror should be played with no more than four players. Fact. If you play it with five or more, you are just asking to stay there for way too long. I have seen people teach this game to new players in six, seven player formats. That is a colossal, massive mistake. Do not do that. Please do not do that. I cringe when I see that. Thankfully I've not been in one of those games. I teach it with a max of four players and that is final. But that aside Eldritch Horror, still one of my favourite Arkham games of all time. In fact, I think it might even be my favourite Arkham game ever. Let's have a look. Yes it is. Yes it is my favourite game featuring the Cthulhu Mythos. So 35 Eldritch Horror. My 34 is the third highest climb that has happened on this top 100. And you're going to be very surprised when you hear it. I, You will not see this one coming as a big climb. 34 is Nations. Yes, I'm being serious. It is Nations. As in the fruity ages, almost like... Other brother, I guess, you know, cloned brother. It's very similar to how Fruity Ages plays. You've got a row of cards and you buy them in order to further your civilization. You get resources and you've got to feed your people. It's similar, but it's got different ways of handling things like the war. And I prefer the way that Nations does it because I think Fruity Ages takes too long. I mean, Nations is not a short game, but Fruity Ages can go ridiculously long the second you go above two players. And I think Nations is a lot easier to teach. Granted, there's a lot of depth, so it's harder to master, but to teach new players much easier to do it with Nations than it is Fruity ages, even though Fruity ages did come out with a very good reprint. I will give it credit, I enjoyed playing that new reprint. Trying to learn the game from the previous version, though, was such a headache that I just could not bring myself to do it. But I had to get someone to teach it to me, and even then, it was a bit of a, oh, bit of a mind-mender trying to wrap your head around it. The new reprint is definitely the way to go. But that aside, I'm talking about Nations here. Now, Nations, again, it's its reasonably thematic. We're not talking the most thematic uh, civilization game ever, so, you know, it's dry-ish, but it really does give you a lot of choices, and the best thing about it is the variety in the nations you have, because in Fruity Ages, you're just generic civilization, but with nations, you have your own, like, America, or, in. well, let's start with the basic ones. You've got Rome and Greece and Persia, for example, and each one has a slightly different setup like you've got more or less spaces you've got different starting resources you've got a special ability and i always love that with a civilization game where i start off as my unique thing and then i can decide how i'm going to build it why is it climbed 16 places though because that's a hell of a jump well the answer to that is one word dynasties what dynasties did was it gave you a way to get extra gold at a moment's notice by doing the whole turmoil mechanic which was really cool but it also allowed you to play a dynasty card from two that you had available which were unique to every nation and basically it replaced your original special ability with a different one so if you didn't like the special ability you were starting off with and you wanted to go down a different path you simply just put your nation into you know government instability for a turn and then suddenly you had a new special ability that you could do another path to victory that really was a game changer but also dynasties gave you so many starting nations you can now be america vikings uh, i think zulus maybe the um, mongolians you can be just about like most of the nations of the world that you've heard of you can now be with the dynasties expansion and they're all varied different starting setups lots of cool new abilities it just blew the variety out of the water for me and that is why nations is still one of my favorite civilization games of all time and why spoiler alert it's my preferred one to through the ages any day nations 34 Righty-ho, three more to go, and we're starting with a big drop. 25 places. I still really enjoy this game, and I'm not selling it anytime soon, so don't ask me for my collection, but Android Netrunner drops to 33, all the way from my top 10. It was in my top 10 last year, and now it's 33. Why is that? Well, partially the meta. The meta has got to a point where it's very asset spam heavy, and it doesn't seem to be deterring away from that anytime soon, despite efforts. And there have been some improvements recently, so maybe it will climb up in, t- in the months to come. But the meta being like that does kind of restrict what decks you're playing. However, that's a minor gripe, because I don't tend to play in tournaments that much anyway, outside of a local store one, so I don't really care what the current big top tier deck is. I like to just create something fun. And when you do that, Android Netrunner is still one of the best two-player games out there. Yes, it's very difficult for new players to get into, and there's so many cards now, it's very difficult for anyone to even start the game until they start cycling them out. But it's a really cool way of getting in your opponent's head, especially when you're the corporation. Because it's asymmetrical as all get-out, with the runners having to hack into the corporation's servers, and this corporation trying to defend themselves with ice you know, ice uh, defenses against whatever rig the runner has managed to do up. There's so much variety in the identities, there's loads of cards to customize your decks, but I love the mind games you can play as the corporation, like, what's in that server? You don't know. Is it a trap, or is it an agenda? You know, you just don't know what to expect. And even Core Set Netrunner is fun. The other night, I played a Core Deck Only game with a friend of mine who just wanted to play some more Netrunner and learn a bit more. And that was still fun. Yes, there was only corset decks, and they vary in terms of their power. But it was still great fun having a limited card pool and then getting back to basic Netrunner. You know, what the core of what made Android Netrunner so good. No pun intended, but the core thing. Still love it. Maybe it'll go higher or lower depending on the meta, but I'm certainly not going to sell it anytime soon. I still really enjoy this one. This is a fantastic design by Richard Garfield. One of the best LCGs out there but not the best LCG out there. Number 33, Netrunner. Number 32, only down five places. So this is remaining nice and steady and... What did I tell you before? I love thematic Euros. I really like a Euro that gives me a strong theme and gives me so much variety and allows me to take my own path to victory. If you can achieve that in your Euro game, I am going to adore it beyond belief. And this one is one of Uri Rosenberg's finest. And that's not the one you're thinking of. You're probably thinking of Agricola. I'm thinking of a a later one than Agricola. No, I don't even mean Caverna. I'm thinking Fields of Arl. Fields of Arl is a two-player only game of farming, agriculture, and building, and that kind of thing. But I tend to play this as a solo game, just to try and get the most points, because, my god, the variety in this game is beyond belief. You have your fields, you have your pastures, you have bogs that you've got to you know, get all the peat stuff out. I'm not entirely certain that what you use it for, I'm not an agricultural expert, but you've got that to begin with. Then you've got all the different goods that you can have, like you know, grain and leather and, and reed and stuff like that. You can build vehicles to transport goods to nearby villages with points. You can upgrade your tools that allow you to do special actions better. You can do so much in this game, it is unbelievable and even slightly daunting when you first set it up. And granted, it's got a bit of a steep learning curve. But once you get it learned, wow, this is such a good agricultural euro game tons of theme works really well as a two-player game or as a solo game i'm kind of glad they didn't go with three or four players because i think it would just take far too long if you tried but oh this this is so much you can do it's just appealing to my every waking thought about what i want in a euro theme variety lots of paths to victory and decent components because this one is very well produced as well by z-man games really worth checking this out if you have any likeness for Uri Rosenberg or any likeness for strategic farming style games or if you like Agricola or Caverna you owe it to yourself to try Fields of Arl. It doesn't matter whether you like Agricola more than Caverna with that whole debate but just try Fields of Arl. You won't regret it. My number 32. And finally, my 31, and if I carry on too long, I'm liable to get heatstroke in this room, but this is the new debut to the list as well. In fact, it probably could have made last year's list, because I think this game came out very shortly, possibly before or after I did the last Top 100, or at least I don't remember playing it until after the Top 100. This is, well, when I said Chaos in the Old World was the best use of the Warhammer License, from a certain point of view, I actually meant what I said. This is the best used so far for the Warhammer 40k universe, and that is Forbidden Stars. Forbidden Stars is kind of my... the way I scratch the Twilight Imperium free itch. If I can't get that six-hour epic game arranged from my mate who actually owns the game, then I can at least bring out Forbidden Stars for two to four players Preferably less players, but you know, four works well if you've all played it. You have to accept it's a bit of an epic event, and this scratches the itch because you've got the technologies, you've got one of the best combat systems I've ever seen. Though granted the combat system can take a while to resolve but it is great fun to have all these cards that you can upgrade and tailor and use and you've got to think what's my opponent going to play? I gotta think is he going to play that? Maybe I should play this one instead and block what he's going to do. There's a lot of getting into your opponent's head. The four races are asymmetrical. Again I love asymmetrical play. They seem fairly balanced. I... I've won this the Eldar, I've won this the Orcs, I've lost this, you know, I've lost as the Orcs. It's a great game and I wish I could get it to the table more often because I really enjoy this one. It's such a good, thematic... I suppose it's an Amerifrash game? Maybe a hybrid? I mean, it's definitely not a Euro. It's got Euro mechanics in it, but nah, this is probably a Euro... No, no. this is This is a Amerifrash slash hybrid. It's hard to describe it, but it's really strategic. It gets... Everything right about the races that it's based on. It's dripping with 40k theme. If you're into that universe, you really want to try this one out. Although, be warned, it is a heavy game. This is not a gateway game. This is going to rack your brain cells. And I look forward to the expansions when they no doubt will bring them out, which will hopefully bring in new races. I hear the Tyranids are coming next. That would be pretty cool. I would love to see the Tau Empire. I think that would be fantastic with all their cool guns and stuff. And I suppose Necrons would be pretty sweet as well. But we'll see what's to come with that. 31, ending this part 4 of the top 100, Forbidden Stars. (laughs) Right, that's another 15 of the top 100 done. Three more episodes to go and I'll be getting on to recording those as soon as I can. Bear in mind my situation. I promise you they will all be released before the end of August. I'm sure it will be long before the end of August when I get them all out at this rate though. The next three episodes will take 10 episodes at a time. So the next one is going to look at 30 to 21, and then 20 to 11. And then finally, the one that you're probably actually going to bother tuning in, because I bet half of you aren't listening to these ones. You're just waiting for the top 10, the top 10, and the final part. And I can't wait to talk about those 10 games, because I love them so much. And that's why they're in my top 10. And one of them in particular is going to surprise you so much, you probably had no idea you were going to expect it. But another one to also think about is that we haven't got to the one game that has climbed the most places. So which game could possibly have climbed up the chart that much compared to the other ones that have already climbed up significant places? Well, we'll see you later. For now, take care, keep playing games. I'll see you in part five. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like the 20 Minutes of Filler podcast or the Broken Meeple. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.